This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we talk about what it's like to be a Christian Monday through Saturday, to live as a person of faith and a culture against faith. All right, we're talking about booze again. We're still talking about the alcohol. I got a <laughs> side note here. I got a text message from uh, our friend Andrew Barrett, who's mm-hmm. been on this podcast before. And he goes, caught the new episode this morning. He's like, would have just absolutely loved if you just like an understanding that we have points and perspectives too. just like came out and like out of the gate. Nope, drinking's wrong and just own it. <laughs> <laughs> hypocrisy and all. Just <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I love Andrew. It's like, God, that's, funny. that's funny. That is funny. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, last week we did introduce the idea, um, mm-hmm. is drinking alcohol bad? Well, I think I, t- I think I ended up titling the episode, can Christians drink alcohol? Yeah. Like what does that mean for you as a Christian? Right. Yeah. Um, I have not listened to the episode yet. It actually came out this morning and I haven't had time, but, um, I was on it, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, um, it is an important topic, right? Because it is a, a question that a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. Um, it is one of those that, you know, you, you type in to Google as a Christian, can I, and it pop it one of the, one of the first things that pops up is that one is drink alcohol um, or have sex or have sex that too <laughs> or oddly enough listen to secular music is number three <laughs> um all right guys uh, let's just be honest here for a second i listen to probably more secular music than i do christian music yeah to be completely honest with you um so if that's a sin, then I'm going to hell. <laughs> um, but uh, no, so um, but last week we did kind of briefly talk about like the the part that church history or the church played in the idea of not drinking. Yeah. Um, and so we're gonna we're gonna walk through that today a little bit more. Um, yep. So basically what we have to understand is at some level, we've talked about this at, at, at deconstruction a lot, but every one of us are, are handed our faith Yep. that we then have to absorb and put on and do something with. If you haven't listened to the deconstruction episodes, go back and listen to those. Yeah. And When 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 that happens, you get two or three generations removed from a a tradition or whoever handed you your faith. Your faith can look radically different mm. from the person that handed it to you four generations ago. Yeah, it's like the the telephone game. Yeah, exactly. It is like the telephone game, and the reason I bring that up is because. we have this continual evolution of what our expression of faith looks like. Um, for instance, you know, we're, we're a network of house churches here at Wellhouse, And yet I can't tell many how, how you tell you how many people tell me that we're not doing biblical church. Yeah. Cause we don't have a building, which oddly enough, 
we are actually doing the biblical church and they are not. Because no Christians in the ancient world owned buildings like that that were dedicated to churches. It was all house churches. Yeah, we don't get that until the third century. Yeah. Or sorry, the fourth century. And if you want that detailed out a little bit more, go listen to like the first four or five episodes of A Closer Look. Um, we kind of, we, we, we dive into that a little bit more. Yep. But. So, what we have to understand is the faith that we've been given is 2,000 years removed from the original expression of this faith. Yeah. That's a lot of progress. That's a lot of evolution. That's a lot of change that happens through that time. Yeah. And we ended up reacting against culture. And and I'm not saying we did it in a way that was bad, but the prohibition of alcohol was a reaction against culture. Yeah. It wasn't really Bible-based. Because you can go to Paul in Timothy and he tells Timothy to drink some wine for his stomach. Yeah. You know, last week we looked at the story at the wedding at Cana. I mean, there are all kinds of of things in Solomon about drinking wine and being merry and enjoying the simple things in life. Um, There are texts about don't drink too much wine. Yeah. There are texts about moderation. There are texts about not being a drunk. Um, But by and large, I mean, drinking was what it was. I mean, that's why there's wine at the love feast in in, in 1 Corinthians. And that's, they've got these banquets, right? And they're doing all these things. There's wine at Passover. Jesus, Jesus partakes in Passover. Yeah. And specifically says, I will not drink of this of, again yeah i will not drink it again so until like, he comes back right like yeah so there there are these markers in the text that let us know that like hey alcohol is a part of the culture yeah like alcohol is a part of what it is and we continue to see that through the patristic mm-hmm. the patristic time like they're they're drinking wine they the first beer recipe is found in egypt in 4000 bc yeah aristotle is making mead like 400 BC, something Something like that. that. So they, they know how to ferment things. They know how to make alcohol and it's 350. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, yeah. Cause Plato is like 400. Yeah. So Aristotle's just inside of him. So, so they're doing all these things. They have all this, this fermentation knowledge of how to do it. And then oddly enough, remember you, you have one church. Yep. Until the Great Schism of 1051, which we still need to do a church history episode on here. I don't think most of our listeners know it's like general church history. Yeah. Um, but the Great Schism happens in 1051. So up until that point, everybody's the same. You're just the church. Yeah. And in that time, the idea of monks like desert fathers and these kinds of things, these these kind of spiritual practitioners rise up. And they come to a point where they say, hey, we got to, we sit around all day praying, but we need to work. We need something to make money. <laughs> yeah, we need, we need somehow to make money. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have some gardens. We're going to do some things. 
we're going to do a little bit of woodwork. We're going to we're going to build little things that we can sell for people. And oh, by the way, we're going to brew alcohol. Yeah. We're going to make wine, we're going to make beer. Um going to ferment stuff. Yeah. And by the way, this is a tradition that still exists today. Yeah. They're called Trappist beers. Yeah. It's a Trappist beer if it's brewed in a monastery. Yep. Where it houses monks. We only have one here in the U.S. And it's like... It's in Massachusetts. I think, yeah, yeah. It's like super far away from us and I'm sad. Yeah. <laughs> so... You have this rise of the Trappist kind of tradition. And then in the Great Schism of 1051, where the Greek East and the Latin West Church, they split... Alcohol is not a question. No. Like they're both still on the same point in that. You can go to Greek Orthodox Church now or any kind of Orthodox Church and drink. Yeah. Right? I mean, and we all know Catholics don't have a problem drinking. <laughs> so, like, it, that's not the question. No. And so it keeps going, and we go through Aquinas, who loved to drink. Yeah. And we keep going through church history and, and continuing to progress and let's just jump to Martin Luther now 1517 Martin Luther posts his 95 theses yep later in his life Martin Luther ends up brewing his own beer mm -hmm. making his own beer he drank a lot of beer even when he was a um, a Catholic mm -hmm. drank a lot of beer like that's not a question anyone's having. Yeah. And then we get over to America. We see a couple of things happen with the American church. Now, remember, who are the first people that come over to America? Well, they're, they're not Native Americans. Uh, they're the Puritans. They're the Puritans. Yeah. Okay. So the Puritans come over. Do you remember who, like, the most famous Puritan of all time is? Um, Quaker dude. Um, oh no, interesting. He he is, but um, so they're Puritans and Pietists, right? Uh, or Puritans and Pietists, and Jonathan Edwards fits Jonathan somewhere. Edwards, yeah, somewhere yeah, yeah. in that. Um, I was not expecting you to go there, but okay, yep, somewhere in that situation, Jonathan Edwards sits. But so also remember that the IPA was created as a way of preserving the beer yeah. from over the pond to get to here. So once again, our freaking Puritans are they in it to win it, apparently. Yeah. So now truth is, they don't have to be the ones to figure that out. No. I think legend tells us they were, but sure. it didn't have to be that way, but... So anyways, we continue progressing on drinking in Baptist life, especially in the U.S., it's not a thing for a while. So Baptists show up, and you got two different kinds of Baptists. You got general Baptists and regular Baptists. <laughs> swear to God, that's, yeah, what, no, they, that's what they're called. I know, I know. And what ends up happening 
is the general Baptists are these like free will Baptists. Yeah. I honestly don't even know that I could call them Christian. Like their their theology is jank, dude. Mm. Like it's terrible. I do not even know that I could call them Christian. They've all but died out. Right. Um, you can still find them now. They're called free will Baptists, but you got to look real hard. Um, and then you have the regular Baptist and the regular Baptists end up being the reform Baptist. Mm. So like our tradition arises from the regular Baptist and then the regular Baptist split again, you have separate Baptists and you, you have this whole thing. But anyways, by and large, drinking is not a problem at all in Baptist life until the 1920s. Yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit before that with the Sandy Creek Association in North Carolina and the rise of like revivalism, mm-hmm. you get to see a hint of an element of abstinence, but yeah. it's not it's not pervasive. Right. I think it's just it's lightly showing up there. But as we progress on, oddly enough, you see it in the 1920s. Yeah. And here's what happens. There's a guy named Walter Rauschenbusch. He's a pastor in Hell's Kitchen, New York. He's also a theologian. He teaches at Union in Rochester Seminary. And... He decides that he thinks that society, that you, the individual, are in need of reform. You are in need of the kingdom of God. But so is society and culture as a whole. Mm -hmm. And that the society is in need of the kingdom of God. And society needs to look like the kingdom of God. Yeah. So he starts doing a lot of things or trying to do a lot of things. Oddly enough, he actually never really accomplishes anything. He gets a couple of parks built and things like that, but he doesn't actually do anything. Um, because remember, this is in the middle of the Cold War and communism and all this, and and he's a socialist and, yeah. and just whole things kind of a, a weird situation there. But... Because of his ideas of him saying that society, that the church needs to be reflected in society, that society needs to inhabit elements of the kingdom of God, there were a few people that knew his teachings, that saw an opportunity to jump on the prohibitionist movement and shut down drinking. Yeah. So... Real quick, um, I know there's probably going to be some some history people um, and some people that uh, have studied society and like myself, um, you will know as well as I do that um, the feminist movement probably played the largest part in the prohibition movement, um, but the church played a pretty big part too because the church in the, the feminist movement kind of teamed up to shut down drinking. Well, like, that's the deal. Yeah. They're the feminists are the right hand of the church. Yeah. In, in this issue. Yeah. 
Um, the church played a really big part in shutting down drinking in the 1920s. Well, and part of it, part of it was, and I'll, I'll credit this to Rauschenbusch, part of it was he thought if we could get people to stop drinking, we'd, we'd get people to stop buying prostitutes. Mm. He thought that if we could stop drinking, sexual immorality would go down. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's right. And it, it just didn't happen. No. It's just not how it played out. And so the prohibitionist movement, like that's the that's the smoking gun in this conversation. Yeah. Which it still carries today. Oh, absolutely. Um absolutely. It's slowly going away. But like it's still a big question for a lot of people. It's a big question for a lot of I don't get it so much in young people. No, it's kind of going away with younger people for sure. I think um I think by the time my kids Ezra and Eli, I think by the time they're leaders in churches it'll be gone. I don't I don't think it'll make it another generation. Uh because by the time they are all the traditionalists will have died and most of the boomers. And then all you got's Gen Xers left before the millennials. Yeah, I guess that's kind of fair. Um, I, I'm not, I, I'm not confident in that. I want to see how it plays out. Yeah. Um, because there are still traditions that are like, nope, mm-mm, we 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 don't drink alcohol here. Yeah. Um, and so it, we got to see how long it takes for those traditions to say, you know what? No, maybe it's okay. Right? Well, like, we're even seeing those traditions some of start them. to move yeah. on that. I mean, our tradition, we grew up in a prohibitionist-style expression of our tradition. We did. And I can confidently say most 90% of the people I know in our tradition today... in that tradition, specifically. ...don't have a prohibitionist mindset. No. Um... But no. it goes to show you that for 1,900 years, this was not a conversation the church was having because it wasn't the problem. No. There are ways that it could become a problem, yeah. but by and large, it is not the problem. And so when the church gets up, it's polarizing for the church and the feminists to join arms to fight for prohibition and to get it done. Yeah. That's the deal. If if it wouldn't have happened, it probably wouldn't have mattered. No. Now, to be fair, they had right at the time to do something, right? Because alcoholism was rampant, right? The men would come home from work. They'd go home. They'd eat dinner. They'd immediately after eating dinner, they'd go to the bar, get wasted, and then come back home and beat their families, right? So, like, makes sense. And the the women were tired of getting beat on. I don't blame them. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Right, like, not, yeah, no. Um, and so that's why they pushed for the prohibitionist movement. Um, I mean, truth is, that's a that's a pretty severe oversimplification, right? And it's also a, a uh, 
absolute. Not all people are, not all men are doing that, right? No, not all of them. But by and large, that's the narrative we're being told. Yeah. And back on to the prohibitionist thing. This is how we've gotten here. And so you think prohibitions in 1920, when's it lifted? Uh, I don't want to lie. Google it. Yeah, I don't want to lie. I should know this. Yeah, and when did it officially start to? Because Rauschenbusch is is firmly in the 1920s, and I know he's a player in this. Okay, so so 1919 was was when it started. Okay, and the 21st Amendment was ratified in 1933. 1933. Yep. Okay, so it went for 14 years. Yeah. Okay. <gasps> 1933, there are people, because that's the other thing. We're seeing this now in in the issues of racism. Mm. Mm-hmm. Just because the laws change doesn't mean people's outlooks changed, right? Yeah. So if you grow up your whole life hearing... One narrative. That, yeah, that African Americans are subpar human beings... Just because someone writes a new law doesn't mean you just automatically give yourself over to the new narrative, right? It takes time. I think I think my generation is the first one that really like got out of the like there was enough distance there between our parents and grandparents and the racism that they had experienced uh, or been taught to where we are now, and. I think the same is true for prohibition. I mean, if you think 1933, if that entire narrative is about alcohol and how terrible it is, that's only literally 1933, that's only 90 years ago. Yeah. There it's are not still that long ago. there are still people alive yeah. that lived through it. Yeah. It's not that long ago. But yet it has been a f- like it has been a focal point of the faith that we've been handing people in some traditions. Yeah, let's also not forget to mention the damage that prohibition did yeah. um, on on people's lives um, and livelihoods, right? Um, because people were making like bathtub hooch yep. and dying. Yep. Um, that was not a good thing. That was not a good moment for the church. No. Um, and we had bartenders literally fleeing the country, like to go start and open bars in London because it was legal there. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and that's all they knew how to do. Yeah. Right. So it's just a, not a good time for the church. It wasn't good. I, I, I respect the attempt. Sure. Sure. Um, it just wasn't it wasn't the right thing to do. It was an overcorrection. That's the deal. It was an overcorrection. The pendulum swung too far the other way. Yeah. And so now I think we're coming back to this place of moderate. Yeah, like being in a moderate position on the issue. And that's where Wellhouse is. Like we don't condone condone addiction. We don't condone drunkenness. We don't condone those types of actions. 
But if you find yourself in that place, alcohol is not the problem. It's the symptom. Because if not alcohol, you can replace the symptom with something else. If, if you find yourself in those places, you have other healing and wholeness to go on. The alcohol is not the problem. And so for us, it's about moderation. We want to respect people that are in recovery and those kinds of things. But for us, it's not a big deal. And, and I wanted to show you today how we got where we are. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't understand church history. And this is what I like to say all the time. Church history is important because it's the move of God through history. It's the work of the Holy Spirit through history, through his church. And so for me, if I have a question about something, my first question is, well, what does the Bible say about it? Mm -hmm. My second question is, what has the church throughout history done with this? Yeah. And by and large, drinking hasn't been a problem. It hasn't been a problem until recently. Right. And I say recently, like loosely. Right. But yeah, within the last hundred years or so. Yeah. But now it's already starting to go away again. Right. I think it's starting to go away again. I don't I don't think it's as big of an issue as it used to be. But I do still want to have a couple more episodes on this where we look at some some other key texts and and things and and just about what it is, because I know, you know, for Easter, we had Bloody Marys and mimosas. And I'm sure there were a lot of people that were like, ooh, what's going on here, right? So, Hey, man, those Bloody Marys were good, though. Like, They were spicy. They were spicy. They were spicy. Uh, I need to tweak that recipe. But, yeah. yeah, they were good if you sipped on it. <laughs> so here we are. Everything in moderation Everything. seems to be a good position throughout where the church has been in history. But, the drinking's not the problem if done in moderation for the entire history of the church except for the little stretch there in the prohibition. <laughs>